I want to talk to you, those of you who are hurting this morning, you have unanswered questions. And sometimes we are afraid to even ask these questions because it might seem like we are a people who have no faith or maybe it might seem like we are giving up on God. And that's why I've titled my message this morning, When Life Does Not Make Sense. Remember, there is always an after this. And it's true that there are times when life just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that we prayed and the prayers were answered. It doesn't make sense that we stood and walked according to God's word, but it doesn't look like the fruit in our lives matches our walk. It just doesn't make sense why my mother had to pass on when I was a child or my father had to pass on when I was a child. Not in my case, but it could be that's the question you're asking. And as it is right now, people who are passing on the pain that the nation is feeling. My prayer for you this morning is that as we look into God's word, which is a lamp to our feet, a light on our path, that God's word will truly come as a healing bum. Maybe not every question will be answered, but that God will assure you this morning that he loves you and he cares for you. I ask you call other people who maybe are in that space now where they feel disappointed by God or angry at God, or they're in a situation where they don't, cannot make sense of it all. When life doesn't make sense, that's what I want you to remember. There is always an after this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we find two scriptures that I think are quite very interesting. And I'm going to read them in different translations. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14 to verse 15 reads as follows. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. In the King James, it says, this too is vanity. He's expressing a thought that, you know, even if I'm wise and the other person is foolish, why is it that it looks like the same fate comes to us? Didn't my wisdom help me? Didn't my choices help me? And he says, my goodness, this is just all vanity. This is somebody who is giving up on life. And it feels like maybe even if I do what's right and I follow what's right, I don't see the fruit that comes my way. It's even more clearer in another translation, the New Living Translation. It reads as follows. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. This man saying, you know, even if I'm a wise man and I seek to do what's right and to walk according to what is right, why is it that it looks like the same fate that befalls the person who doesn't care 
comes my way also. Why is it that my mom, my aunt, my friend who wore a mask, they sanitized, they did everything that's right. Why is it that they got infected? And why is it that even when we prayed for them, they ended up dying? Just the same as the other guy who didn't care. They didn't care about anything. They died and my friend died also. Why is it? And those are important questions that we are asking. And I want to read chapter 8 now, verse 14. It reads as follows. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve. And wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. The new century version actually puts it in a very nice way. It says, sometimes something useless happens on earth. Bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. And I say that this also is useless. I think this scripture really scratches where it itches, doesn't it? Why is it that when I've done all that's right, and I've taken care of my health, and I've been eating right, and I've stayed away from the wrong places. Why am I carrying this chronic disease? And the other guy who didn't care broke all the rules. He is just as sick as I am. Why is it that when I pray and I try to live a life that is centered on God, instead of things working out the way I'm hoping they would work out, but I end up in tragedy? Why is it? Those are important questions, and I'm trusting we can answer those questions. My last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 8 to verse 10. Paul is saying, three different times, I begged the Lord to take this attack away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul is telling us how to approach the struggles and the problems and the challenges. I'll come to that much more later in our sermon. I want us first of all to focus on what is said in the book of Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes is identifies himself in Hebrew as the Koheleth, which means a convener of an assembly or a preacher or a speaker. The author also identifies himself as follows. He identifies himself as the son of David. He identifies himself as a king in Jerusalem or a king over Israel in Jerusalem. Moreover, in the biography that we find in chapter 1 and other chapters, that this writer says about himself that he's wiser than anyone who ruled over Jerusalem before, that he's a builder of great projects, that he possessed numerous slaves, that he had incomparable herds of sheep and cattle. He boasts that he had great wealth and a large harem. In short, he claimed to be greater than anyone who lived in Jerusalem before him. So these descriptions have led many Jewish Christians and many Christian interpreters to identify the author as Solomon, though the name Solomon is never used in this Ecclesiastes. And this is what we find in some of the Bible commentators who talk about this. 
So this speaker, this preacher is simply King Solomon. Many of us know about King Solomon. He asked for wisdom from God. And when God had appeared to him, he asked for wisdom. Instead of asking for long life or anything else, and God said, because you've asked for wisdom, not only will I give you wisdom, I will give you even long life. I'll give you even much more things so that there is nobody in all the earth who will be wiser than you, who will have insight like you, but not only that, who will be famous like you and who will be wealthy like you. So Solomon goes down as one of the greatest men who ever lived. So he wrote this book. So the theme of this book of Ecclesiastes has a very powerful message for us in this age because it addresses issues around selfishness or this materialistic age. And Solomon argued that being selfish and being materialistic is not going to help us. The book of Ecclesiastes teaches us that great accomplishments and earthly possessions alone do not bring lasting happiness. And I think we should trust this, guys. Here's a guy who had the greatest riches, who had anything that we could ever imagine. And at the end of it all, he says, you know, even having had everything else, the one thing is to note that these earthly possessions, good as they are, proper as they are, they can never give lasting happiness. I think also this holds true of the period that we are in right now. We are first realizing as human beings that there is more to life than our wisdom, than our technical knowledge. There's more to life than our wealth and our knowledge. We are first realizing in this period that we are just not as powerful as we thought. We are realizing that our normal, regular lives can be brought to a screeching halt by just a virus called COVID-19. We are first realizing that living lives that are far from God and lives that only depend on our own wisdom and our own strength and our own help is not going to help us. There comes a time when our own humanity and our finiteness gets exposed. And that's what Solomon is talking about. So the book of Ecclesiastes is a great book because it further shows us that when it comes right down to it, true happiness comes from serving God. True happiness comes from following the will of God for the rest of your life. And all the riches and the wealth and the possessions and everything are just an added benefit. They are just one of the things that just happens to accompany you, but they are not the main thing. And so when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the underlying theme shows us that all human achievements are empty and disappointing when we pursue them as an end to themselves. And so it addresses different themes about purpose and, and the mystery of life. And when he concludes in chapter 12, he concludes on a triumphant note and he asks the leader to consider the highest goal in life. He says, what's the highest goal in life? And he says, the highest goal in life in chapter 12, verse 13, is to fear God, to keep his commandments. And he says, and this is the whole duty of man. What I love about the book of Ecclesiastes is that Solomon asks questions that sometimes we, are, we don't want to ask. Like we see in chapter 2 where he says, the wise man has eyes in his head, the fools walk in darkness, but I've realized that the same fate comes to them both. He's asking those questions that we are afraid to ask, particularly we who are believers, we who trust in God. There are certain things we are afraid to ask as though God will be upset when we ask those questions. And he said, I don't understand. I don't understand. Why is it 
that with a wise man who's made wise decisions and a foolish guy who doesn't care at all, but the same fate comes to them both. And then he says, I thought in my heart, the fate of fools will overtake me also. So what do I gain by being wise? And then he says, in my heart, this is what I thought. It's all vanity of vanities. He's saying, in short, I'm just thinking, what's the use? Maybe some of you, you are at that point. What's the use? What's the use of praying? What's the use of living right? What's the use of following God? What's the use of calling on his name? When what happens to the person who doesn't care about God happens to me as well. Wow. Solomon was bold enough to ask that in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And I want to read it again. Sometimes something useless happens on the earth. Bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. And I say, this is also useless. In other words, he's making a commentary on how unfair life seems to be. That you have righteous people who follow the righteous way. They do what is right. They treat people well. They follow God's commandment. Yet their lives are affected by trouble. Their lives are affected by calamities and tragedies. The same calamities, tragedies and troubles that affect those who don't honor God as well. He bemoans the fact that sometimes it looks like everything is just useless. And he exclaims, I say all of this is useless. What is Solomon trying to do? He's trying to ventilate what many of us are afraid to say when these kind of things happen in our lives. See, when these things happen in our lives, we bite our tongue and we act as though it doesn't matter. So we pray to God, even though inside we feel angry towards him. Even though inside we feel so disappointed. And even at funerals when we bury people who have died in a tragic death, people stand up and say, it's God who took them away. Even if we say all that, in our hearts of hearts, we are hurt. In our hearts of hearts, we are asking questions. In our hearts of hearts, we are disappointed in God. We are just afraid to face God with a question. And some of us, it is these experiences that shake our faith in God. And they make us feel that there's no use in serving God after all. Because anyhow, the same problems befall us all. Those who follow God and those who don't follow God alike. Let me give you a personal story. My father passed on on the 6th of June, 1994. This was just 11 days before he was to turn 68 years. I will not lie to you. I'm a pastor. I preach to others. But I was hurt. I was hurt. I'll tell you why I was hurt. He was a good man. He's a man who lived right. He wasn't perfect. But he's a man who honored God, loved God. I don't ever remember at home my father laying his hand on my wife, on, on his wife rather. I don't ever remember him abusing my mom. In fact, after he died, I remember having a conversation with my mother. And my mother was bemoaning the fact that her lover, her husband had passed. And then she turned and her fame beamed like a 16-year-old girl who has been kissed for the first time. And her face beamed and she said, my son, your father loved me. If there's a day I got a teachable lesson as a man and a teachable moment as a man, is the day when I was looking at a woman who is talking about what love meant to her. And my mom, who is now very senior, beaming like a 16-year-old girl, how much my father loved her. And I tell you, my dad loved my mom. 
when he came back from work, he would go sit in the dining room and the two of them would talk for hours, two hours or so, drinking tea. Just the two of them, you know. And I look at this man and I say, my goodness, you are setting too much of a high standard. How am I going to cope when I get married? I can't reach that standard. As a good man, I come from a home of four sisters. I'm the only guy. My dad treated my sisters with honor and respect. Not once did he ever abuse my sisters. Not once did he ever become suggestive in anything he did. Just a man of men. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He didn't go to parties. He went to church. He did everything right. And so if there's a man who should live until he's 90 years old, this is the man. If there's a man that I was waiting to have certain conversations with him when I'm old enough to venture into that territory, this is the man. But my goodness, my goodness, 11 days before he turned 60 years, he passed on, passed on. We had visited him. He wasn't well. He had not been well for a while. And for weeks he had not been sleeping. He was having problems with urea because of liver problems. That came because of medication he had used over time. You know those years they used to test medication on us as black people. And here he was struggling with urea. And when this urea was too much in his system, he would lose his mind. He wouldn't know who we were. He would say things we didn't understand. I saw my dad lose weight. He was a big, strong hunk of a man, lost all the weight. And I remember when we visited home, my wife and I, just to go and say hello with the kids there. When I looked at my dad lying in bed, somehow I knew he's not going to make it. He hadn't slept for weeks. My mother hadn't slept for weeks. And I said to mom, I said, Mama Bonane, tonight I'm going to sleep here at home. You must go to the other bed and sleep. I'll be with dad in the same bedroom. I'll look after him. You look very tired. And thankfully, my wife, and I thank God for her, said, it's okay, Musa, you can stay behind. And she went home with the kids. And for some reason, my father slept that night, whatever the reason. And my mom said, Musa, now that he's sleeping, there's no need for you to be in the bedroom with him. You go to the other bedroom, I'll be with him. And five in the morning, the following day, on the 6th of June, I heard my mother screaming, calling my name. As I ran into the bedroom, there was my dad passing on. See, I've comforted many people. But that was a time I stood there and I thought, God, why? Why him? Why him? Why, why this man? Why him? But my father had suffered with sickness and disease. I mean, if I had to have a conversation with God, I'd say, God, there's other candidates who are the right candidates, not him. Why don't you go over just down the road over there? That man there, he beats up his wife. That man there, he drinks. That man, he does everything. That man over there, God, is the right candidate. But that same person lived to be much older than my dad. And I stood there and I remember for one year, I was angry with God. I would pray, I'd go to church, I'd go through the normal routine, I'd hide my pain. I'd try to act like it doesn't matter. But inside, I was angry. Inside, I was frustrated. Inside, I was hurt. Maybe some of you, that's where you are today. This is what Solomon is bringing. Why is it that in life, it looks like it's all vanity of vanities? Cut a long story short. A year later, God helped me through that period. And I healed. And I remember I was traveling with my wife from Nigeria, pretty Nigeria, and we were flying back. And in the, in the plane, 
when everybody was asleep, I just broke down and I wept uncontrollably for an hour. I mean, not just a small, silent, you know, weeping that is, you know, very uh, organized. I just broke. I mean, it, 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 was, it just came out like floods out of me. And since that day, I was okay. And I've learned a few things I want to share with you in a short while. I attended a recent funeral where a young man lost his mother and grandmother in the same week, just not too long ago. And the young man stood there to talk. He said something that made me to preach this sermon today. And when he said it, I sat there and I thought, I may not feel his pain, but I think I understand a bit. He looked at me, he said, you know, people come here and they tell me God has taken my grandmother and my mother. He said, I don't believe it. I don't think God is that cruel. And for some reason, I agree with the young man. I know God doesn't do those kind of things. Sickness and disease does that. Satan attacks our life to cripple our lives, to make us feel so bad. And he looked at me, he said, Bishop, you may not agree with me, but let me tell you, I don't believe God's done this. And I'll be honest with you, I'm angry with God. I'm glad that at least he ventured to be honest. And I'm hoping he's watching wherever he is. And I'm praying that God will heal you as well. And so as I sat there and I thought, here's a young man. First, his mother got unwell, passed on. While they were making, doing, making funeral arrangements for the mother, the grandmother died, the mother of the mother. The grandmother passed on. So they had to wait, and here is one funeral, two boxes. It's not the, one, it's not the only funeral that I conducted. Not too long ago, I conducted another funeral. I standing there with two boxes, a sister and a brother who passed on one after the other. And you know what is even more sad? Is that these people that passed on, all of them were followers of Christ. These are not people who were living wrong. These are not people who were doing anything. But here we are, they lie there. And so this is a tough one. I remember in the early days of ministry, I was officiating at a funeral of a young couple that both had passed on on a head-on collision. And in the car they had their child who was a few months old. Thankfully, the child survived. And you know how the accident happened? Some drunk guy who had drunk alcohol, got into his car, drove in his car, had a head-on collision with this couple. They died, he survived. How do you answer that? How do you answer that? And so these experiences can make you throw up your hands in the air and say, what's the use of serving God? Because bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. If, you if you've ever felt like that, you are not alone. There are people in the Bible who had to grapple with the seeming contradiction of life. Let me give you a few. The first one of them is Job. We read about Job in the Bible. And the Bible tells us clearly he was a righteous man. But in a short period of time, he lost everything. And when you read, Job had not committed any sin. This is a guy who got up in the morning and prayed for his family, prayed for each one of his children. This is a guy who served God with everything. In fact, God was such a great guy, such an upright man, that even God gave testimony of the uprightness of Job. You find that in Job 1.8. When Satan came, God said, have you seen my servant Job? There is nobody like him. I don't know if God can say that about me. I wonder. But then when trage tragedy struck, Overnight, Job was struck by tragedy. 
to a point that even his own wife gave him bad advice. Let me read what his wife said in Job chapter 2. Here is Job, he is sick, his skin is full of sores, he's lost so many things. And verse 8 of Job chapter 2 in the New Living Translation says, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Are you still going to church? Are you still praying? Do you still think there's a God? Listen to what she says to him. Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God, never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. He has a man who's grappling with this contradiction. He can throw his hands in the air and say, what's the use of living right? Look at me. Even his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, all three of them gave Job horrible advice. What do we say about Stephen who was stoned to death in the book of Acts chapter 7? This man met his brutal death when he was preaching the gospel. And when he was stoned, God didn't come down to stop these people. And the believers mourned his life. And at the death of Stephen, somebody by the name of Saul was supervising this horrific thing. And he stood there to check what was happening. And God didn't stop him to cap it all. Years later, after Stephen is dead, God takes the same man by the name of Saul, transforms this man, sends him back to the very Christians that he was persecuting. And after Saul has been changed, his name becomes Paul. And God chooses this man who was a, a torturer of Christians to be the very one who's a preacher of the gospel and the anchor of it all. The same Paul, we find him as a devout Christian now. Now he's grappling with these same things in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what he says. He says, he, I'm experiencing attack from Satan. Satan is buffeting me, he says. And he says, the reason I'm buffeted is because of the great revelation of the gospel that I have. He says, three times I have gone to God and I've prayed about this and I've talked to God. But instead of God taking away the attack, all God said to me is my grace is sufficient for you. So when life doesn't make sense, I want you to remember that. There's always an after this. And Solomon says all these scriptures and making this commentary because when you look at how life pans out simply from a human perspective listen to me you may come to the wrong conclusion remember as much as Solomon wrote these words he is writing from the human perspective he's making a commentary of life as seen from the standpoint of being a human being on earth we can only see what we see on earth we can't see beyond that I pray God opens it up to you let me give you this illustration the, you see, there are certain things when you look at them. To get a full understanding of the situation, you need to have all the facts before you. For instance, in the courts we know, when a case is pre presented, you need to give sufficient evidence, enough of it for, to persuade the courts to persecute the person. If you say a person stole, they want you to prove that. How do you know they stole? How do you know it was them? Did you see them? Did you see them take it away? They will question you to a point where it has to be graphic. You've got to prove it beyond any shadow of doubt. If there's any part of that evidence where you didn't see, you are not sure, it's, it hangs in the balance, they are not sure. So in other words, you cannot come to a conclusive 
statement when you don't know all there is about the case. See, in theaters, when we go and watch certain productions, we see, we sit there in the audience and watch what happens on stage. And we see everything that happens on stage. But let me show you something. Outside of what is happening on stage, there's a lot more that's happening backstage. There's a lot more that happened even before the people came on stage. These people came, they practiced, they went through the script, they were helped, they were sorted out. There's somebody there who is called a producer. And this person sits there and they tell the actors, you must stand there, you must wear this dress and wear those pants and stand like this, stand in this light. And, and they, they, they give them all the tricks and they give them the reasons why and they give them the behind the scenes story. Think about this. Say you and I, we are sitting in that theater watching this production. And the same producer is sitting next to us watching the same production. When the actors are doing their thing, you and I will only understand it on surface level. We'll only understand a bit of what they do based on the information we have. Our information is small. Our information is only what we see at that time. But this producer who's sitting next to us, he knows why that guy is standing in the corner. He knows why he's lifting his head because he was there behind the scenes telling this guy, if you lift up your head, it gives us this impression. So the understanding of the same subject matter, the producer has a deeper understanding but you and I, who are the spectators, have a smaller understanding. And so in other words, we've got to accept that as human beings, we only have a smaller understanding. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 9. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. He says, but when the perfect had come, then the the." the the part will be done away with. Then he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Then he says, for now, we see in a mirror deeply. But then, face to face, we will know. Now we know in part, but then we will know even as I'm known. Paul says there comes a time when we will know the behind the scenes story. We will know what happened when so-and-so died. We will know why is it that when we prayed, it didn't work. The Bible says the secret things belong to God. There comes a day when we will understand it all. But when we don't understand it all, let's avoid making any commentary on it because we don't understand it all. Think about it. When Job was confused about what is happening to his life, when he was losing things left, right, and center, when he lost everything, when he fell apart, he didn't know what's going on. But you and I, we have the benefit of reading the Bible and seeing that when he was going through the attack, there was a behind-the-scenes story. Satan went to heaven and asked from God to get permission to attack Job. So Job was attacked. But remember, when he was attacked, he didn't know it was the devil. He didn't know what was going on. All he knows is, I've been praying, I've been seeking God, I've been offering sacrifice, but look what is coming my way. But you and I, we have the behind-the-scenes story to see that Satan went and asked God for permission. You remember what Jesus said to Peter? He says, Peter, the devil has decided to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. 
Jesus gave Peter the behind the scenes story. So there are times when we get attacked and things happen and we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. So we mustn't try and make conclusions and walk away from God and say it's vanity of vanities. Let's learn from Job. What did Job do? Number one, the Bible says when he heard about his loss, he fell on his knees and he worshipped. Job is saying, I'm not going to walk from God. I'm going to still hold on to God. Number two, he acknowledged his humanness. He says, I came in this world naked. I'll go back naked. In other words, I don't have much. I don't know much. I'm just a normal person. And the Bible tells us in the process of time, God did redeem things for him. Job says, actually, in the process of time, in chapter 19, verse 25, he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at the last on the earth. What is Job saying? Job is saying, in short, even if I don't know, I don't understand what's going on, okay? There's things I don't know, but rather there's things that I know. Job is saying, I will hold on to the things that I know. I will carry on with the things that I know. I will not try to beat myself with things that I know. Job is saying, instead of focusing on what I don't know, I will rather focus on what I know. And then we read at the conclusion of his life, the Bible continues to say, and after this, God restored to Job. <laughs> I want to tell you, there's always an after this. If you stay with God, if you focus on God, if you walk with God, if you don't allow anything to move you away from God, there is always an after this. When life is not making sense, don't throw your air, hands in the air and just be in despair. Remember, there is always an after this. In conclusion, Paul also testifies about his after this experience. And I want to read it for you. He said, three times I called upon the Lord and I besought him and begged him that this evil might depart from me. But God said, my grace, my favor, my loving kindness and mercy is enough for you. It is sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear trouble meaningfully. For my strength and power are made fulfilled and show themselves effective in weakness. Now note what Paul says. Paul says, therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses and in my infirmities. Why? Because I know that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul says, in the moment of weakness, that's when I understand the power of God is strongest upon me. So instead of walking away from God, instead of turning from God, I will always turn to God and say, even if I don't understand God, I will hold on to you. So this is what I want to suggest to you in conclusion. First of all, don't come under pressure to try and understand everything. Please don't. You don't need to. Secondly, grieve over your loss, but allow time and allow God to heal you in the process. Thirdly, take the job approach and say, even if I don't know, but there are things that I know. I am going to refuse the temptation to call everything vanity. I'll accept those things I don't understand. But even if I don't understand certain things, there are things I understand. And finally, be sure that even this moment, things will pass. Your prayers are not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. Because even if you are battered, left, right, and center, it has been seen in scripture and in life. If you keep on holding on to God, you will come out the other side one day. Even if life is throwing bad experiences at you, there's always an after this. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to bring you before the Lord this morning that God will be merciful to you. 
You may want to invite Christ in your life. You may want him to be the savior of your life. Maybe you walked away from God and you want to recommit and rededicate and come back to God. I'd love for you to do that. Join with me in prayer and I'm going to pray three prayers in one. Will you join me in prayer right now, please? I saw some of you, you may be hurting, you may be weeping where you are. I just pray that this prayer will really heal your heart. Father, I pray for these, your children, for those who want to invite Jesus in their lives, come into their hearts, be the Lord and the Savior of their lives. Change them, make them to be your own children. For those, God, who are hurting, who are in pain, some who are in sickness, who are in disease, let your power come upon them in a mighty and a powerful way. We pray for our nation. We thank you for the numbers that are coming down, for more people who are recovering. Have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on us. And Father, we commit ourselves. Even when life doesn't make sense, we will never throw up our hands in the air and say it's all vanities of vanities. We will always trust in you because we know there is an after this. In Jesus' name.